Here I was, a guy actually working in the industry, someone who prided himself on knowing a fair amount about who played what on which songs, and I clearly didn't know the tenth of it. It got me to thinking. If I was so woefully unaware of this stealth-like group of crackerjack players who routinely took the place of the real band members on one chart-topping song after another, then maybe others out there were equally in the dark. But with life being life, my discovery somehow managed to fade into the fusty recesses of my mind for almost another ten years. Teaching marketing in a couple of universities, producing a daily syndicated radio feature about classic comedians, and working with various musicians and record labels all seemed to take precedence. Finally, though, I decided that the tale of these great musicians had to be told. Having started doing some freelance writing for a couple of local newspapers, I thought that the story might make an interesting magazine article. So I emailed a pitch letter to Richard Snow, the then editor-in-chief of American Heritage magazine. Remarkably, within hours I had my reply. He had always wondered about this very subject, and would be delighted to offer me a contract to write a feature piece about these mysterious sidemen. After the article came out to a positive reception in 2007, including a mention in the New York Times, it became clear to me that the uniqueness of the Wrecking Crew's story, especially regarding what really happened behind those closed studio doors, would make an even better book. There was just so much more to tell. One fantastic literary agent, editor, and publisher later that book now exists, and there are a few important points to make regarding the contents. First, about the name. The Wrecking Crew's moniker is undeniably the creation of the drummer Hal Blaine, who, by virtually unanimous agreement, sat front and center as the unofficial dean of the whole bunch. His skills, charisma, and sense of humor were mentioned to me time and again by almost everyone I interviewed from producers to stars to fellow players, as being the cornerstone of much of what went on during the countless number of recording dates. If you didn't have Hal, you wanted to get Hal. In the early 60s, as Blaine and the other young T-shirt and blue-jean-clad session musicians began their ascent in the business, some of the older, more established coat-and-tie-wearing musicians became resentful. They felt that this new breed of rock-and-roll-playing studio hand was going to somehow wreck the business. It was hard to tell which they hated more, the lack of a dress code or the burgeoning style of music. Maybe it was just a matter of professional jealousy over getting aced out by their more youthful, hipper counterparts, or more likely, some combination thereof. In any event, the old guard was headed the way of the Victrola, and they knew it the wrecking crew had become the coveted new set of hired guns in town. Now, as to exactly when people started becoming aware of the wrecking crew's name, it is hard to say. Some of the studio musicians I interviewed swear they heard it applied to themselves as early as 1963. Others say it was later. One says it was never used at all. Nevertheless, over the decades, the wrecking crew's name has become culturally ingrained so much so that it is now universally used to refer to these great players. Not one person I interviewed ever wondered whom I was talking about. Like Woodstock and Watergate, the term is now a permanent part of our historical lexicon. 
As proof, no less an institution than the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame made a point of using the Wrecking Crew name when inducting Hal Blaine, Steve Douglas, and Earl Palmer into their ranks, under the Sidemen category, a number of years ago. That's plenty good enough for me. In doing research for this book, and for the article before it, I conducted several hundred hours of taped interviews over a multi-year period with virtually anybody I could find who had been in the wrecking crew or had been associated with them. The vast majority of the anecdotes within this book came to me firsthand or were told to me by someone who knew the players. Dialogue was taken directly from the tapes. It is of the utmost importance to me to be true to the joyous and sometimes tragic journeys of these marvelous musicians. I'm often asked about how many people were actually in the wrecking crew. Was it 15, 20, more? The best answer to that question is yes. There was no...